Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about lives being changed. So if you've been positively affected by Velocity Church, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Thanks and enjoy the message. We're talking about the remedy for all of your issues. Now it might seem kind of strange to think that there's one thing, just one area that if you can get this area right, you can fix all the other areas in your life, all the other issues. But that's precisely what we learned last week. We looked at a number of different scriptures, looked at the life of Moses. But one thing we looked at, and kind of our theme verse for this series, is a verse found in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It's written by a man named Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived. And he said this, he said, Guard your heart, for out of it come all the issues of life. The issues. The, the worry, the anxiety, depression, discouragement, your lack of consistency, your, your inability to practice self-discipline, whatever it is, your issues, they come from one place. They come from your heart. Now, another translation says it a little bit differently. It says, above all, be careful how you think because your thoughts control your life. So that's what we're looking at is how our thoughts, they control our life. In fact, I read this study a number of years ago that said that the average person in a single day thinks over 60,000 thoughts go through their head and over 80% of those thoughts are negative. Now, I have no idea how they measure that. It sounds a little bit sketchy to me if you want to know the truth about it. But let's just consider for a moment that the majority of our thoughts running through our head are in fact negative. How are we supposed to deal with that? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today, is, is how you deal with these thoughts that come into your mind. And this idea that our thoughts control our life, this isn't some kind of new theological concept. This is something that you see all throughout Scripture. You see it, we're looking at Moses in the Old Testament, but you see it all throughout the New Testament. James, who was a New Testament writer, he said in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, where do the fights and the quarrels, where do those come from among you? Why are you, why are you fighting? Why are you in strife? Why are you quarreling? They come from within. It all starts within you, doesn't it? That's what he says. Paul, another New Testament writer, an apostle, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, he mentioned this numerous times, but one place in, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, he said something I thought was interesting. Just talking about this conflict within us. He says, I don't even understand myself because I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war within my mind. It, it, this, this internal conflict. Uh, you know, it, it's not just James. It's not just Paul, though. Actually, Tom York, he's the front man of Radiohead. He said, I want to be alone, but at the same time, I want people to notice me. He also said, I'm a creep and a weirdo. It's just... <laughs> you know, makes sense. But the, the, the thing is, I'm saying we all have this internal war, this civil war in our soul that keeps us from moving forward. And you can spend your whole life trying to fix everything else out here and never realize that the place you're getting sabotaged is from within. And so Last week, I tried to lay the groundwork for that. We were setting up the foundation, and if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it because 
I, th th there's no way that I can just do all that and still get to what I want to have time to get to today. I'm curious, though, how many of you this past week, you've been thinking about the thoughts that you think. You've been taking a moment just to take inventory of what's going through my mind. That's good, about 10% of you. So we got a lot of work for us today, but, but nowhere is this more clear than in the life of Moses. He is our central character. And uh, Moses, if you don't know about him, he was a really prominent figure in the Old Testament, mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament, really one of the most profound figures because God used him to deliver an entire nation, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. And I, I like Moses because he was kind of like a pastor to these people, so I feel like I can relate to Moses. I also relate to him in the fact that he was very conflicted. And I feel very conflicted lots of times. I feel like what James talked about, what Paul talked about, what Tom York talked about, uh, all these people, where, where there's this war within me where I, I know there's things that God wants me to do and I feel like there's things that prevent me from doing them. But what we see with Moses is that before God could use him to deliver others, there were some things that God had to deliver him from. And what's cool about Moses is that there's a lot we can learn from his life and we don't have to be Moses delivering a nation out of 400 years of slavery to learn them. We can just look at some lessons he went through and we can begin to apply them to our everyday life. And so where we left off with him last week, he was a man on the run. He had just killed an Egyptian. And when he discovered that people had found out about it, uh, he runs off in hiding. He, he thinks that his life is on the line and he takes off for this place called Midian. And where I want to pick it up today, I have two passages of scripture. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 7, which is a summary of Moses' life. Uh, it's just concise telling, and I'm going to pick up right where we left off there. And then we're going to jump in to Exodus chapter 4 and get a front row seat to this conversation that Moses has with God. So two places. I know it seems like a lot, but we're going to do all the work for you. We'll put the words on the screen. This is like going to the gym and burning calories, watching somebody else run on a treadmill. Like you don't even have to do the work. We'll just put it on the screen for you. So Acts chapter 7, verse 30, this is what it says. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness on Mount Sinai. Now when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. So the context is Moses has been on the run, been in hiding. It's 40 years now that he's been in this situation. Has this encounter with God, strikes up a conversation with God. God starts speaking about what he wants to do in his life. And he says, Moses, I'm going to send you. And now where we're going to jump in in Exodus is Moses' response. So Moses answered, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Well, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. 
This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. I just have one thing that I want to say to you. I know it's amazing that in all my sermons I would have just one point, because I have more three-pointers than Steph Curry, I'm just telling you. <laughs> but just one point for you today. And this, that's, I want to speak to you from this subject. It's titled my, my sermon. Get a handle on it. Get a handle on it. I need you to help me preach this today. Find three people and tell them, get a handle on it. Will you do that? Get a handle on it. All right. Hey, let's pray. Let's ask for God's help as we go to his word. I believe God's going to speak to you today from this subject. It's going to help you know how to deal with these negative thoughts that run through your mind. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. God, I'm thankful that when we open up your word, you speak, and that's what we need to hear today. Not my ideas, opinions, or thoughts, but Lord, we need to hear what you think. We need to hear your opinion. We need to hear your word. God, I ask that you would give me something clear and something fresh. Lord, help me to communicate in a way that we can apply it to our life, that people can grab hold of it. I believe, God, that you will. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees with that can say, amen. Hey, how many of you... Um, how many of you like to meet new people? How many like to meet new people? I guess if you don't have your hand up, we can just assume that you're not a people person. Uh, I, I, I always have kind of thought that uh, I'm one of those people that likes to meet new people, but I've come to realize recently it's only in certain contexts. Like, like if I am never going to see you again, I'm really not so interested in striking up a conversation. Case in point, uh, I've been doing a lot of traveling recently. And uh, my least favorite thing is when somebody tries to strike up a conversation with me on the plane. Uh, I, I give them the cold shoulder. I want nothing to do with them because I know that this is one moment in my life that I'm going to see them, never to encounter them again. Uh, I like to put a spin on it and just think that, that I'm interested in long-term relationships. But you may think that's offensive. You may think, there's I can't believe this guy's a pastor. I'm just confessing my soul to you. The, the thing of it is, though, what's more awkward than just like, casual acquaintances or it's just striking up a conversation with random people is when there's been somebody in your life for a lengthy amount of time and you're getting to know them for the first time. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you've seen them around, you, you, you've known them, but you're like getting to know them for the first time. I bring that up because in this encounter that we're looking at, I, I see Moses, he's getting to know God, but he's also getting to know his staff. His staff. I, I know that sounds strange to think that uh, a person could have this relationship, this acquaintance with, with this object that has no life. I mean, I know that like, we would never like, develop a relationship with this inanimate object, but I'm just saying that I see that in this moment, Moses, he, he's, he's getting acquainted with his staff, and it's interesting. I don't know how well he knew his staff. I, I don't know like, if he knew it well enough where he gave it a name. Do you think he gave it a name? I bet he called it Rod if he gave it a name. Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I like it because I know that, uh, I know some things about this staff that, that Moses doesn't know about this staff. Like, I know what this staff is capable of, and I'm wondering as he's having this conversation with God about all that he wants to do in his life and all he's going to do through the staff, which is going to become such a big part of his life, I wonder if you've ever felt like it was part of him, because... I mean, this staff, this staff is significant. Well, like, I know 
in the not too distant future, uh, one of the most famous stories, you probably know this story about the staff, how, how God's going to use it when the Egyptians are chasing Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt and their back is up against the wall. They're, they're actually up against the Red Sea and they feel like they're cornered. But God says, hey, take this staff and stretch it over the waters. And as you stretch this staff over the waters, the waters are going to part. The waters are going to divide. And it's all because of this staff. This staff, it's so interesting. It's, it's really prominent all throughout Scripture. When he's leading the Israelites in the wilderness, there's this time where they were complaining, they were thirsty, and they didn't have any water to drink. And God tells Moses, hey, take this staff in your hand and, and strike this rock. And when you strike this rock, water is going to come out of it. It's all with this staff. Uh, one, one thing with this staff, you know, he used it to really lead the people out of Egypt. He used it really just to help Pharaoh release these people in the first place. Like he, he said, hey, when I'm sending you into Egypt to deliver these people, uh, Pharaoh, he's not going to want to listen to you. And so I, I want you to use this staff to get his attention. Uh, like, like, for instance, I want you to strike the water with it, strike the Nile River. And when you strike it, that, that river is going to turn to blood. And that's going to give Pharaoh second thoughts about keeping you around. And so if you read the accounts in Exodus 7, he, he does that. He strikes the Nile River, it turns to blood. And, and it's not just that one time. There, there's time where he says, hey, I want you to strike that bloody Nile again. And when you do it this time, uh, there's going to be frogs that come up from the Nile and they're going to cover the land. And, it's not just that. I mean, all sorts of plagues. You probably know there's another time where he, he struck the ground with the staff. This, this staff, this thing that seems kind of so insignificant. This staff, he struck the ground with it. He's glad he's going to know. He struck the ground and, and dust comes up and gnats, they, they come out of the dust. And all these other plagues, you, you've probably, you know, seen the movie or we've read it in scripture. All these plagues that God uses, all because of this staff. Now, Side note, if I was Pharaoh, I would have been done with just the frogs and the gnats. Like, that would have been enough for me. You know, if, if Moses really wanted to be efficient, would have just sent cats in there? Because nobody likes cats. I mean, the Pharaoh after that just would have been like, get on out of here. But I'm just saying this staff, it's, it's significant. And uh, I wonder if Moses, if he had any idea that this staff was capable of all this. And, and I'm intrigued to know that the deliverance that God was going to bring about was all because of the staff. Now, one of the reasons I'm intrigued by it is because last week I told you that our imagination is the place where God wants to birth miracles in our life. It's also the place where the miracles that God wants to birth will die. It's all in our imagination. And I see that with this staff because I wonder, like when Moses saw his staff, what did he see? Like, what did he look at with it? What was it? Well, was it just, I mean, it would have been so easy to take it for granted. Spending his life for 40 years, spending in the desert for 40 years. I mean, to him, this was just a tool of the trade. It's just an ordinary staff. There's nothing significant about it. I had no idea all the ways that God was going to use it. And I don't know if you know anything about staffs, shepherd staffs in the Bible. I'm just assuming that you don't. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about it. But, you know, the staff, it wasn't like a dime a dozen. Like when a shepherd got a staff, the staff was meant to last a lifetime. In fact, I read one place where, you know, they, they would last so long that shepherds would often like 
carve markings in them anytime a significant event in their life happened, just so they'd remember that on this day, this happened. So in a lot of ways, the staff, it was like a personal diary, if you will. It wasn't just a tool, it was a reminder. And in so many ways, it was not just a symbol of his vocation, but his identity. I mean, it's not like everybody just held a staff. You know, I mean, you saw somebody with a staff, you knew immediately it was a shepherd. I mean, as if the sheep and the smell weren't enough. Like, you knew that this was a shepherd when he was holding a staff. But more importantly than just representing his vocation, the staff, I think it also represented his past mistakes. It was a reminder of how he had failed. Because, I mean, if he had never killed that Egyptian, he never would have had the staff in his hand in the first place. You think about that? I'm going to kind of back up on the story here. He killed this Egyptian, found out that others had found out, runs to this land called Midian. Now, while he's there, he meets this woman, marries her, and begins tending her father's sheep. Now, this was a humiliating task, not because he was working for his father-in-law, baby, but because he was a shepherd. Now, if you know anything about Bible history, you'll know that, like you read in Genesis, the Egyptians they looked down their nose on shepherds. They wanted nothing to do with shepherds. This wasn't just humiliating for a guy who was going to be in line to become the next pharaoh. This was humiliating for anybody who was raised up in the Egyptian culture. And so now Moses, he's, he's got this staff that he's been carrying for 40 years, represents so much about who he is, but is also a painful reminder of the mistakes of his past. And if he never would have made some of those mistakes. He'd never be in this position to begin with. It's just a staff, but yet there's so much in it. So much about his future, all the stuff that God wants to do in his life, miracles he wants to work. I mean, you could say his imagination. It's just a staff, but it represents his present, what he's doing, how he uses it, his, his life, his, his identity, you could say. It's just a staff, but <laughs> serves to represent his past, a reminder of the painful mistakes that he's made that put him in this position. I mean, you could say his, his memory, or if you want to keep with the eyes, imagination, identity, you could say insecurity. All in the staff. And I wonder if, maybe just for the sake of example, maybe just for today, I'm not saying to make a doctrine out of this, I wonder if we could just say that this staff is like a symbol of his mind. Like the thought, at least the thoughts that he's thinking. At least his pattern of thought, the, the things that he's walked with, the things that he's carried. And maybe if we could do that, maybe, maybe we could learn something from it in our own lives today. Because, you know, there's a lot of thoughts that we carry with us. There's a lot of thoughts that we walk with. There's a lot of things we carry that we begin to associate as part of our identity. There's a lot of things that God's given us, even put in our hand, that we don't even realize what they are yet, that God wants to speak to us about the potential that's in them and his plan for us and the promise and how he can use those for his glory. There's, there's all these things and there's a whole lot happening in this conversation between God and Moses, but it all starts with this staff. It's fascinating to me and intriguing to me and maybe, maybe helpful for you to just understand the context of this passage a little bit because this conversation between God and Moses, it's a whole lot bigger than that short little section I read to you in the book of Acts. This, this conversation between God and Moses, it takes up an entire two chapters. 
And I didn't feel like you wanted to go through two chapters of scripture today, so I just read to you that small section in Acts, but this is a lengthy conversation, and just kind of give you a gist of it. God gets Moses' attention, calls him from a burning bush, speaks to him, calls him up, you know, the, this is holy ground, take off your sandals, all of that stuff. And he begins to tell him about his plan for his life. And within all of this, Moses starts throwing up all of these excuses, all of these objections. He says, I want you to go. And he's just like, God, who am I? Why would you be talking to me about this? Do you know who you're talking to? I, I mean, I'm the guy who's been on the run. Uh, why, why would you send me there? What are they going to believe me? Why would they believe me? You know, I already tried to get them to believe me 40 years ago. They didn't believe me then. What makes you think they're going to believe me now? You know, back then I was actually in a position of power, in a position of authority. Now I'm just a shepherd. Like, like I've been God. Do you think they're not going to be mad at me for turning tail and running? Like, God, you've got it all wrong. I don't know why you would be speaking to me about what you want me to do when there's all these reasons, all these excuses, all of these details I can give you about why I'm not the right person. And God, he just, he cuts him off. It's like he gets tired. Just like, shut up, Moses. Get a handle on it. Get, 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 get a handle on it. At the end of this long conversation, it's like, you've talked, you've talked long enough, Moses. It's time for you to get a handle on it. And this is what he said. He said, what's, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. He starts with a staff. Something that Moses already has handy. And I guess what I would tell you is, you've got what you need. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Is that you've got what you need. I say that because that's usually not the thought that comes to my mind when God starts speaking to me about the things that he wants me to do. I've noticed that in my mind, I sound a lot more like Moses than I do like God in the conversations that take place in my head. God, why, why would you be speaking to me about this? You know who you're talking to, right? You, you know, like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You know that this is too big for me. You know, like, what I did. God, I have no idea how to do this. I'm so uncertain. I'm, I have no idea how, like, why would people believe me? Why would this even work out? Like, I have no plant. Like, this just seems so crazy. What if this doesn't turn out? What am I supposed to do? And, and God says, look, there's something that you already have in hand to produce what you need to move forward. And I'm moved by that because I usually get caught up in what I don't have. Look, I know you don't. I didn't say you do. I said I did. I, I get caught up in what I don't have. And God says, now there's something in your hand already. You got what you need to move forward. But here's the thing that God's been teaching me, especially this week, especially I see in this passage and in this conversation, that it's less about what you have and it's more about how you handle what you have. It's, it's less about what you have and it's more about how you handle what you have. You, you got to get a handle on it. That's, that's what I'm seeing here. See, Moses, he's dealing with these thoughts, everything he can't do, why he's not the right person, why he's not good enough, why he shouldn't proceed. He's carrying the staff and he's having this conversation with God. And I wonder if this staff that's in his hand is a symbol of the thoughts that are in his head. The, the staff that's in his hand that he's been carrying, it's a reminder of his past, reminder of his identity. It's a symbol of what God wants to do in his life. 
and he's carrying this staff. And at the same time, he's been carrying these thoughts, thoughts of doubt, thoughts of insecurity, thoughts that his best days are behind him, thoughts that kept him isolated, thoughts that he believed were his destiny. And God says, Moses, get a handle on it. Get a handle on it. I wonder, what is it that you've been hauling that you're not handling? I wonder, what is it you've been carrying that you've allowed to control you? I wonder if God would be saying the same thing to you to get a handle on it. Because see, God will handle what you can't, but he will not handle what you won't. There's some things in your life that you got to get a handle on. And he'll handle your sin because you can't handle that. And he'll handle your past because you can't handle that. But when it comes to your thoughts, he's told you to handle it, to get a handle on it. He said, guard your heart, guard it, because out of it flow the issues of life. Say, God's going to guard it? Now you, you have to guard it. You got to watch over it with the intent that you're going to protect it, that you're going to control it. And so he says this. He says, handle Actually, the first thing he says is throw it down. So throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Now, that's kind of crazy to me. <laughs> he says, throw it on the ground and it became a snake. Why a snake? I studied a long time this week trying to figure out why it would become a snake. Because, you know, I believe when I read the book, like nothing, nothing happens just incidentally. Like everything has significance. Everything, like every word, every detail, there's a reason for it. Why would God tell him to take this staff and why would it turn into a snake? Well, there's lots of different reasons, I suppose. I mean, immediately we think of like the snake and we think of, de of the devil, but I, I don't really believe that's the case. I mean, because what you see is God used this later on. He, he used it to overcome uh, a similar thing that the Egyptians did. And he actually used a snake later on than that to bring about healing. That's not that the snake is always the devil. Uh, one, one commentary I read said that, you know, the snake, it represented the Egyptian gods. The, the Egyptians worshipped snakes. It, it represented Pharaoh. And, uh, and that by turning it into a snake, well, what God was doing is he was saying, look, I have power over Pharaoh and I'm greater than the gods of the Egyptians. I think, yeah, that's, that's probably a good reason, probably possible, probably likely. Uh, another one I said, read, it said something about that it really wasn't about the fact that it was a snake. I mean, snakes were common. He was a shepherd. He'd killed plenty of snakes in his life. It was the fact that his staff turned into a snake. Now he's without a weapon. This was obviously a real snake. He runs away from it, turns tail and runs. It's the fact that it was poisonous, that it was deadly. This is really a test of trust. God is saying, hey, do you trust me? Will you listen to me? Okay, maybe. I mean, I still don't know why a snake, but yeah, all right. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. Snake, you know, rep it was a very prominent figure to the Egyptians. Maybe it was a symbol of his past and God wanted him to get a grip on his past. I like that. But I wonder if, if maybe, you know what it made me think of when I was reading this? It made me think about how the serpent in the Garden of Eden deceived them. And I wonder if maybe it's a symbol that his thoughts that he'd been carrying were deceptive. You know, Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all. 
Sometimes you can't even trust your heart, your own feelings. And I wonder if these thoughts he's been carrying, these ideas about his identity and his past, I wonder if maybe God's showing him, hey, throw it down. Because I want you to see that some of these things that you've been believing, some of the things you've been carrying are deceptive. So he throws it down before God, and it's not a staff anymore in this moment, it's a snake. And so what does he do? He runs away from it. He, he does what he's always learned to do. He runs. The same thing he did when he killed the Egyptian. He runs. And see, God won't handle what you run from. We've been carrying these things and about who we are, why we can't move forward, why we're always insecure. I mean, this is just who we are. And if we're not carrying it, we, we get scared of it. We never deal with it. You know, maybe if I can just move away from this person, I'll never have to see them. Maybe that's going to help me deal with it. Maybe if I don't have to be around them, then I'll be free from it. And we run from things just like Moses ran from this, but God won't handle what you run from. So God tells them, don't run from it, but reach for it. Reach for it. He says, reach out your hand and take it. So now, now I'm confused. It's already weird enough that he's having this conversation with him and God wants to bring up the staff. Like, what does that have to do with anything? But if you're going to bring up the staff, like, why go through this whole exercise? Like, why, okay, throw it down. Why the snake? Why pick it up? Why even the staff in the first place? You know, if, God, if you want me to use the staff, like, just tell me what you want me to do with it. Like, we don't have to go through all the dramatics. Plus, it's not even the real issue. Like, I'm giving you some solid reasons, some details about why I can't handle this, why I'm not the right person. He says, okay, take the staff, throw it down, snake, pick it up. Maybe it's because this wasn't about the staff that Moses was holding on to. Maybe it's because it's about the staff that was holding on to him. It was holding on to him his identity, what he believed about who he was, his past, that his best days were behind him. See, because what's really holding you back from the deliverance that God wants to bring in your life today isn't what you're carrying, it's how you handle it. It's not what you're holding, it's those thoughts that are holding you and you need to get a handle on it. You need to get a handle on it. And you know what I kept picturing as I was reading this? What I couldn't get out of my mind really wasn't Moses or the staff. Because I always try, I try and like see myself. When I read the Bible, I try and visualize myself there. Like I'm looking at it. I'm watching it. I'm, I'm just like playing out in a movie in my mind. But I keep trying to picture this. But you know what I keep seeing? I keep seeing myself. I keep seeing my conversations with God. Because like, one thing you should know about me, I don't know if you should know about this or not, but I'm going to tell you. Like, when I'm praying, when I'm talking to God, I have the craziest thoughts. I mean crazy thoughts. I don't mean, like, all the stuff I have to do. No, I mean crazy thoughts. I mean, like, if I could hook up something to my brain and put it on the screen, you would find a new church kind of thoughts. I have those kind of thoughts when I'm praying. And Here's Moses, he's talking, and I'm thinking about my conversations with God, and see, all of my thoughts, my fears, my insecurities, my terrorist thoughts, like these thoughts, 
And I've always been told, got to let your thoughts go. Just, just let it go. Have you ever been told that? Just been holding on to stuff, just, just let it go. So I don't know about you, but like, I let my thoughts go, and then they boomerang. It's like they come back, but they don't just got like, I let them go, and then I'm like ducking, because I don't know like if they're going to hit me in the head again, but they come back with like five of their friends, you know, thoughts of anxiety, insecurity. Am I alone in this? I try and let these things go, and then they come back. And what's interesting, in the story of Moses, God says, hey, this staff, this staff that's representative of the thoughts that he's been carrying, he throws it down and turns it to a snake, and then he tells him to pick it back up again. The staff that doesn't look like much, but that God's going to use to bring about a great victory. Here's what it made me think of. It made me think about something that Paul wrote. Paul was writing to a church one time, a church that was really messed up in their thinking. And he says, hey, look, the weapons that we have, we don't fight with weapons that the world uses. The weapons that we use, they're mighty in God. We cast down imaginations. Okay, I'm with you, Paul. Got this civil war in my soul, this battle in my mind. My weapons aren't like the world weapons. I know the staff doesn't look at like much. We cast down arguments. These, we cast down imaginations that try and take a stand. I'm with you on that, Paul. And then he says, this is in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, we take hold of every thought and make it obey Christ. In other words, get a handle on it. He says, we cast it down, but then we, we take hold of it. Now that, what you got to understand is the imagery he's talking about here, he's using like a submission term. We take hold of it. We bring it into submission. We take hold of it. We take it prisoner. We, we take it captive, one translation says. And see, I always thought I was just supposed to let things go. But what Paul's telling me, and what I see in this passage with Moses, is that you don't just let it go. Yeah, you, you throw it down, bring it before God, see it for what it is, but then take hold of it. You're actually supposed to take hold. You're supposed to get a handle on it. Because see, this is what the Lord said to him. He said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. To take it by the tail. It's a different way to hold it. Almost doesn't seem like the right way to hold it. But what he's been saying is, see, you haven't been holding this correctly. You got to get a handle on it. You've been giving it a place of prominence in your life. Worrying about how it's going to work out. Worrying about how this will go. All this anxiety, all this insecurity, all these doubts about if you're... He says, no, get a handle on it. Take it by the tail. Is this making sense to you? Here's what God says. Here's what we do. Here's the application. Let me make it real simple. All these doubts, these insecurities, these negative thoughts that are running through your mind. I want you to think about this picture of Moses and what you're supposed to do with your thoughts. It's a picture. Bring it before God. Throw it down. See it for what it is. But you can't leave it there. Because see, as long as you leave it there, it's still a snake. As long as you leave it, as long as you're talking to God about it, it's still a snake. As long as you're praying about it, it's still a snake. Your, your pain doesn't become your purpose until you get a handle on it. It doesn't become a staff until you pick it up. And so pick it up the right way. You take it captive. You bring it into submission. 
So Moses reached out and he took hold of the snake and he turned and it turned back into a staff in his hand. What started as the thing that Moses feared turned into the very thing that he needed, the thing that God was going to use to bring deliverance, to bring about a great victory. Once he got a handle on it. And do you want to know what the cool thing about this is? After this whole encounter, this thing was never referred to as just a staff again. It actually says, I'll read it to you in verse 20. It says, Moses, he said, take the staff in your hands so you can perform the signs with it. In verse 20 it says, so Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. It made me think that maybe when we model this, take our thoughts, throw it down, bring it before God, make it obedient to Christ, pick it back up, handle it right. Maybe that's when it's not just the negative thoughts in our mind, maybe that's when our thoughts, when we have, like it says, the staff of God, we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. This is what it is to renew your mind. To bring those thoughts into obedience to Christ. You got to get a handle on it. And God's going to help you. You got what you need. It's in your hand. He's going to show you how to do it. You can do this. It's within your reach. But you got to get a handle on it.